Bienvenidos, caballeros y mujeres. Welcome, everyone. It is a, uh, always an awesome thing to be able to be in the uh, place of worship where God attends to us. Uh, we're not just worship, worshiping and ministering to, uh, to God. He's ministering to us as we go through, um, through the service. So praise God for that, that He is... Uh, He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. We can experience Him. And I love the fact that we have a God who hasn't hidden, hidden Himself and has chosen to uh, be amongst His people. That's kind of what uh, uh, where we're going to be talking about today, what, we're going to be preaching, what I'm going to be preaching on. Um, so we're in Isaiah 46. Um, we made it all the way through 45. There was so much there that it took a while just to get there. And it's the same kind of a theme. God is, um, as the last four chapters, God is busy wanting people around the world. If you remember last week, we talked about the universality of God, that He's the same God for all peoples everywhere, even though um, we're not talking about um, salvation that is universal in the sense that everyone is going to be saved. We're not universalists, right? Neither is God. Um, some people, unfortunately, will not uh, see the other side of heaven in the, in the right way. Um, they will see hell. But praise God that He's chosen to have mercy, and uh, He's caused us to believe and understand and to know that. Um, we, talked, we preached about, uh, or, you know, uh, um, the Word was talking about the exclusivity of God, and... Uh, and so this last, uh, this last Thursday, I was on the radio, and it was kind of an unexpected thing. That's not usually my, my day when I do that. I usually do it on Tuesdays. And so it was, uh, almost caught me off guard, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I realized, oh, i got to be on the radio in an hour. So I uh, kind of threw my day off. And, uh, but we were going to talk. We didn't know what to talk about for sure. Um, she chose a topic, and I said, well, otherwise we'd be talking about the exclusivity of God that we're, we're in on Isaiah. And it's, uh, it's an amazing thing that we can, we can share over the airwaves um, the truth about God and that people everywhere can, can hear because it's, it goes beyond the radio waves. Now it's over on the Internet, and so people can hear our conversations. And I love the fact that we can, you know, God has placed us in such a time. We think about, um, we should think about, how blessed we are, it's a blessing and a curse almost, that we have access to some of our favorite brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can listen to their podcasts, we can um, tune in to different things, different teachings of different people, all, you know, 24-7, it's amazing. And through that all, there are still people today who worship a false god. Some... It is the, uh, they're megalomaniacs, they worship the God of power, and power and influence is all that matters to them. Some people worship at the, at the idol of uh, fame and fortune. Um, some people worship at the idol of, of money, and they want uh, mammon, as uh, Jesus calls it in the New Testament, or as that is translated to us as, as, uh, as mammon. And there's all different kinds of, of uh, idols that we make. 
Uh, we literally have a show called American Idol. <laughs> and people worship that. They, hey, they set their times by that. They, you know, hey, I got to be at 6 o'clock or whenever it's on, in the, whatever time of the week it is. And uh, I get that. I used to be that same way when there was certain programs or certain sports. That, that was part of my, you know, just one of my idols. It's like, oh, I got to plan my whole day around that. But those false gods are, they're just a, a, a lesson in futility. They, they're absolutely useless and they mean absolutely nothing. And the exclusivity of God is, is that which he proclaims. He proclaims it through the prophet Isaiah and the other prophets over and over and over again. He, especially in these last uh, five chapters of Isaiah where God continuously said there is no other God. I am He. I am the only one. I'm the one who made everything. I'm the one, the only one who can save. And He's going to continue on in the same way. But He starts out, there's kind of an ebb and flow that if you've been paying attention, there's an ebb and flow to what it is that God is speaking through the, uh, through the prophet Isaiah. And so here, it's, it's no different. Um, here he goes from uh, uh, basically um, almost making fun of the, uh, the gods of, of Babylon. If you remember in the backdrop, there's still that person, Cyrus. And Cyrus is in view here. Um, he's still going to come and do what God has called him to do. And God is speaking about um, their particular deities. And so here in uh, chapter 46, um, he even names these, uh, these gods. And, uh, and he kind of you know, indicates to them how futile and how ridiculous and how dumb it is for them to worship idols when he's the only God. And uh, so, so he is uh, the one that's speaking through Isaiah and later through his one and only son, right? God incarnate, the second person of the, the Holy Trinity or the triune God, who over and over again proclaimed his utter uniqueness and that he alone is God. In addition, how the Old Testament and the New Testament are unified in the proclamation that at, every, uh, that at the feet of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Or as Paul puts it, as he wrote in Philippians 2, that everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, he says so in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. So we're to understand and proclaim that message, that there's only one God... In, in spite of what we see. Um, and, and by the way, um, uh, this was mentioned on, on Friday um, during uh, Matt Slick's show. Be in prayer, as I think about it, just, I was just reminded of that. Um, be in prayer for, the, for our brothers and sisters in India. There's whole communities where Christians are being slaughtered. I mean, it's not just, uh, you know, having your rights taken away. It's they're coming after them. And, and in many cases, it's the women who are persecuting the heaviest and children of different faiths. They worship false idols. They worship false things. And there, there's Hinduism, there's Buddhism, there's all these different... And it's Islam, too. And 
the ones that all three of them go after, they don't go after one another by and large, not like they come after Christians. Um, and there's, a, there's an obvious reason. There's logical and rational thinking behind that. There's only one truth, and I think they know it, regardless of what they say. And they know it, and that, so they hate the fact that there's, there's Christians who don't go along with their traditions and all the other stuff, and that they're really, it's, it's increasing. Um, the woman that was kind of explaining this, she, she ended up, you know, breaking down a little bit because she was, she knows some of the people there, they had a ministry there, and so she has close contact with them, and um, they're really, they're, it's, it's a slaughter, I mean, and nobody except Christian ministries that report on these things are reporting these things. Uh, the world hates us. They don't, they don't want to report on what happens to Christians because ah, those are those one people that believe in the one God and that there's only one God and there's only one way. And we're peculiar people because we believe that and we don't budge from it. And that's just the way that it is. So um, God is the one who is the um, who has stated that every knee will bow. And that's in the Old Testament. And we just read that in, in, uh, in chapter 45 here in Isaiah, where he says in verse 23, I have sworn by myself, because there's nothing higher to swear by, the word has gone, out forth, gone forth from my mouth in righteousness. It will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. And as I uh, made the point last week, that sounds an awful lot like what Paul took and applied it to Jesus, the very same God. And that is the way that things are going to be. And as I've said, you guys, you know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir with this, with this message, but it's, it is what it is. We're in a time right now where there's a lot of false gods and false idols even in our own country. There's all different kinds of things, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago maybe three weeks ago now, you know, you have the God of transgenderism, the God of sexual immorality, or what I call the homo-global agenda. You have all these different gods, and, and you see them even now, they're turning on one another because the, uh, the influx of the twisting of language and the way that they try to redefine everything to to not call sin, sin. You've, you've heard of maps, I'm sure. You know what maps are? It's an acronym. Minor Attracted Persons. Yeah. We call them pedophiles. That's what, the, that's what they are. Um, and I've, I talked about that a, uh, probably a month or a month and a half ago, about the fact that people who have adopted some of those worldly terms man, they're going to have to repent because this is where it was leading to. And they have all these different idols. It is a spiritual war that we are in. It really is. This is demonic. It's, it's just truly demonic. When you have a guy who wants to transition to be a woman, he literally has desired to have a uterine implant for the purpose of getting impregnated just so that he can have an experience, an abortion. 
That's how twisted people have become. That's how twisted this ideology is. That's how twisted this idol is. It's demonic. We're in a spiritual battle, and we need to be on our knees in prayer continuously against this and how we can fight against this in, in the spirit. And, and we, need, we need the help of God, and He will give us that help. But even in the time of, of Isaiah, during this time, speaking forward what was going to take place, the, I mentioned Cyrus, and Cyrus was going to come. Now, Cyrus was a conqueror, but unlike other conquerors of ancient times, he was pretty benevolent. He, he had a, a wisdom about him. He understood that if you leave the societies pretty much intact and let them do what they used to do, only now they have to give you tribute. They have to pay their taxes to you instead of their own king. Um, he let them worship their own gods. Other conquerors would take the gods and kind of make sport of it so that the people would see that your God is nothing and my God is more powerful because he allowed me to overtake and overthrow you. And Cyrus was a little bit different. And he allowed and he encouraged the societies to remain pretty much intact and the way that they were. Do the things that you used to do. Go to worship the way that you used to. Do these things. Pretty intelligent guy, pretty benevolent. He wasn't, you know, but it was still vicious, the things that, that took place. So here in, in Isaiah 46, um, where God has, has finished in, in Isaiah 45, uh, mentioning that the uh, people would be put to shame, those people who, um, uh, who are angry at him, they'll all be put to shame. Um, and that the Lord... Uh, in the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. And Isaiah continues on, and I'll read the first. We're only going to go through these first uh, four uh, verses. And he says, Bel has bowed down in verse 1 of chapter 46. Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. They stooped over. They have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Then he says in verse 3, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth, and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age I shall be the same. And even to your graying years I shall bear you. I have done it, and I shall carry you, and I shall bear you, and I shall deliver you. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for those great I wills, those great I am's that you speak. For you are the great I am, and you are the great I will. And we're so thankful, we're dependent upon that. Lord, I thank you that um, you don't leave uh, salvation in our own hands and that it's, that it's dependent upon us. I thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for the fact that you're the one who's responsible for salvation and that, as you say here, you will do it. And I thank you. You're so good, so kind and gracious, and you're powerful to save. 
I know, because I look amongst my brothers and sisters here, and I see that you can save wretches like us, sinners like us, foul sinners like us. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you that you are the one who says that you will do these things. We're so thankful that you are, that you do, that you will. Lord, I just want to lift up our unbelieving family members and friends and acquaintances. I pray that you would grasp hold of them, just like you did with us. Help them to see, cause them to come. And Lord, I pray that you would just save them for your name's sake and for your glory's sake. That their names are found written in the Lamb's book of life and that you would just continually move as only you can. We thank you for your word. We pray open it up to us. Open up our eyes, ears, minds, and hearts to these truths. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So Baal has has bowed down. God continues here in 46, only now he calls out what will happen in the future events. Remember that God has in his mind, he has foretold that he would use the, the pagan conqueror, the future king of Persia, Cyrus, as the liberator of his people from Babylon. He will conquer Babylon, and in doing so, he will carry away the false gods of Babylon, but also their, their main uh, deity, who was known as Marduk. Marduk. And, uh, and Nebo is, is also an important thing. So Bel has bowed down and Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. Um, some commentators here talk about the um, possibility and the probability of what they're doing as they see this conquering king coming in. They actually take their idols. And in one instance, um, this, it's believed that this uh, uh, god, this Marduk, um, this idol that they had was about 18 foot tall. So we're not talking about a small little thing. And that's when, when it says that, that they're bowed down and they're stooped over, their images are consigned to the beasts of cattle. They had to literally take their god, put it on a cart, and so that it can be dragged off and kept safe. I mean, imagine that. That's what these idols are reduced to. It takes lowly people, fallen people, to protect their own idols. I mean, you, you see, that, you see that it's, it's laughable when you think about it. And God is kind of making fun of that. He's like, it's consigned to your, all your idols that you guys pray to, the ones you bow down to, the ones you cry out to, the ones that you seek. They're put on a cart and carried off for protection while you're praying to them for protection. I mean, it's ironic. And God just kind of, you know, he's kind of throwing a, uh, he's using sarcasm here. He says, the things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. I want you to think about in the uh, contrast to that. Here these People are worshiping their false gods, just like we, we had our false gods, you know, in, the, in our past. And here he's calling them out that they're having to bear this burden, this burden of their God, of their idol, in order to keep it safe, in order to be able to worship it later, in order to be able to bow down and worship to it. And I want you to think about the contrast to that, the juxtaposition. 
of Christ when he came and he bore our burden on the cross. Our God took our heavy weight. And here God is calling them out. He's like, you guys are carrying the burden of your idols. And think about the fact that Jesus came to bear our burden. He came to bear our sin. He came to bear our shame. The difference is so just black and white. And so he's kind of being sarcastic here and, and, and just, you know, I'm sure it's, a, you know, you've seen the, uh, um, in, in messages, you've seen the letters uh, SMH, shake my head. It's like God, it's like, these are your gods and you're having to take them and carry them around. They're your burden. Don't you get it? They're a load for the weary beast. He says, they stooped over. They have bowed down together. So these gods that they have, they're, they're weighing them down and they're stooping over and they're both bowed down. The idols are dependent upon the people to take care of them. And the people think that they're dependent upon this God to keep them. It's, it's sin is irrational. It doesn't make sense. Why would you do this? And when you think about it, it's, it's actually kind of funny. It's quite, it's comedic when you think about it. And there's people that have this. And as I said last week, there's people that have shrines that they set up. And they go there and they worship. We see that in the Roman Catholicism all over the place. They say, we, we don't worship these things. It's like, really? Why do you have a shrine then? <laughs> Doesn't make sense to me. It seems like worship to me. But it's the same kind of idea. They're stooped over. They have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. So this is the, uh, the, the Nebo is a Babylonian god. Um, Bel, or Baal, is kind of a play on the word of Baal. So it's essentially the same, but it's used in this different language. And it literally means Lord. It's, the, it's a proper masculine name, noun, and it's the chief deity of, of uh, Babylon. But it's also kind of a generic, almost like the term God. You can apply the term God to a lot of different things, and people do. Um, some people won't even call God God. They'll just say it's a higher power. Like, you mean the governor? I don't, but what are you talking about? You know, the, the mayor of the city? That, that's a higher power. I don't, you know, who's, who is it that you're speaking of? Their, their, their person was, uh, their, Bell was the, the main one. And then there's Merodach. Uh, Merodach is the, um, is the one that the chief uh, deity of, uh, especially at the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, he was, uh, his name means thy rebellion. Thy rebellion. That's what the name literally means. Um, the name Nebo is, is uh, it is uh, the word for prophet. The name Nebo is a Babylonian deity who presided over learning and letters. It corresponds to the Greek god Hermes. In Latin, uh, Mercury and, uh, and Egyptian, Thoth. Um, 
Nebo is actually also in Scripture. It's the mountain where Moses died. And they lost track of him. They didn't know where he went. And remember what uh, one of the writers in the uh, New Testament said that Michael the archangel and the devil were wrestling over the body of Moses. And he said, the Lord rebuke you. Um, so Nebo was, it is told, that he is the son of Merodach. So you have the, the Merodach is the, uh, uh, the chief deity. Nebo is supposed to be his son. Um, the chief seat of his worship was in a place called Borsipa in the vicinity of Babylon. His name, which is supposed to be from the same root as the Hebrew Nabi or prophet, seems to mark him out as a speaker of the gods. Another uh, point of contact with Mercury, the chief speaker. Um, he was also regarded as the inventor of writing, according to the Babylons, this Nebo, this god. The frequency with which the Chaldean kings are named after him. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, kings of, of Babylon, Nabopolassar, Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, they all have this name wrapped into it because they're sons of the gods. That's kind of what they believed, right? And it's been thought to show that he was the patron deity of the dynasty. And Jeremiah speaks directly about that in Jeremiah 51 through 3. Um, so in Jeremiah 50, Jeremiah is going through his uh, hard times. And I commend to you, read these passages. Um, some of them are pretty long. There's a lot of verses. But it's amazing the detail that he gives in speaking what God is going to do and how God is going to deal with these people these Babylonians. Because remember, Jeremiah was part of the fulfillment of that, and it was in his time that he was struggling with his own people and crying out on behalf of his people because they were blowing it there in Babylon. But God was saying that he was still going to deal with them. In Jeremiah 50, hopefully I gave you enough time to get there, it says this in uh, verse 1 through 3. It says, The word which the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, through Jeremiah the prophet. He says, declare and proclaim among the nations. Proclaim it. Lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. By the way, Marduk and Bel are both male deities, um, so-called. They really don't have a gender, but, you know. But they're masculine in their understanding. So the her here is talking about Babylon. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. For a nation has come up against her out of the north. It will make her land an object of horror. And there will be no inhabitant in it. Both man and beast have wandered off. They have gone away. In Jeremiah 51, he continues and he says in uh, verses 42 through 44, and I highly recommend reading Jeremiah 51 because it's really uh, descriptive. Um, but in 42 to 44, we'll focus there and it says, The sea has come up over Babylon. She has engulfed, uh, been engulfed with its tumultuous seas or waves. 
Her cities have become an object of horror, a parched land and a desert, a land in which no man lives and through which no son of man passes. I will punish Bel in Babylon, and I will make what he has swallowed come out of his mouth, and the nations will no longer stream to him. Even the wall of Babylon has fallen down. So God is there proclaiming what he's going to do, that all their idolatry and all their things, it's going to be done away with. And many parts of that uh, part of the world are still uninhabited. They're still desolate. It's still, it's still for today. So many of these things that are spoken are not just for that time, it's for all time. They re-inhabited or rebuilt some of the places, but a lot of the places over there are still like off limits. And it's weird because you'll see this dead zone, and then right next to it, you'll see all this busy city. It's weird. It's kind of like something is holding them back from building it. And I wonder what that something is. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just, it's pretty astounding to think about, to see, when you actually see videos of a live city, and then right next to it, it's just dead zone. And it's, and it's not like it's like dead in the sense that it's just, barren land there's green there's greenery there there's all kinds of weeds and trees and but it's untouched it's it's weird anyways going back to isaiah verse three god says this listen to me listen to me O house of jacob and all the remnant of the house of israel you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. This is one of those instances where we see, as Job said, from womb to tomb. God carries us. Um, we sing that song that uh, um, Zach Williams wrote, There Was Jesus. And really when we look back in our lives, we can see instances in our lives when we look back, and we didn't know it at the time, but there was Jesus. He was with us all along, we just didn't know it. And when we look back on those times, we can go, wow, it's just an amazing thing. Um, And here you see God saying the same types of things. He says, listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. And at this point, when when they do come out, there's not going to be like a big, flourishing, huge amount of people. It's it's a small remnant. Um, It's like what's left from your carpets, when they do your carpet in your house and they leave you remnants, little pieces that you might be able to use here and there. Sometimes later, like if you, uh, I've seen people that burn a hole in their carpet and they keep part of the old one and they, they'll patch it. There's guys that can do that. But this is the idea. It's a remnant of the house of Israel. He says, you who have been born by me from birth. In other words, their existence depends upon who God is that He's the one that caused them to come to life because He is the originator of life and He's the one who brought them uh, to be as a nation. And then He says, You have been carried from the womb. The Lord's care is like that of a mother for her children. Not all mothers care for their children as they ought. 
And we're seeing that being played out right now in horrible, horrible ways when you see primarily mothers who are taking their kids to places that they shouldn't be. You know, these uh, drag shows for kids, it's the mothers that are taking them. It's so bizarre. It's like, why would you, why would you do that? Um, but here, the Lord's care is He carries them. I mean, it's, a, it's an endearing picture that he's, he's carried them from the womb. And in verse 4, He says, Even to your old age, I will be the, I will be the same. So the one who birthed them, the one who carried them, and in another place, um, He even says, I'm the one who taught you to walk. I'm the one who gave you your food. I'm the one who sustained you. Though you were at the, in another portion of the Old Testament, he says, I found you in the side of the road. You were disposed of. And I picked you up and I cared for you. I loved you. It's, it's one of those things where it's one of those kinds of, uh, that's a trans, you know, it's a, uh, uh, not a direct quote, but that's, a, that's the idea that he gives. And so he's saying, I'm, I carried you, I found you, I'm the one that made you who you are. It's from the womb to the tomb, it's God's promise to his people. He says, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. Um, what he's saying is, even though we change, and those of us who are older now, we know how our bodies are changing. Unfortunately, we're reminded of that on a daily basis, continually. Some of us more than others. And, but he says, but I'm going to be the same. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. He's immutable. He never changes. And praise God for that. And then he says, I have done it. I will carry you. And I will bear you. And I will deliver you. I love that there's five different places where God says, I'm going to do this. I've done this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to continue to do this. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's the important thing to understand. He begins it. He's going to finish it. And God is the best finisher that I know. He finishes things that He starts. And He doesn't... uh, he doesn't let them go to pass. He says this in Isaiah 41. It, it's almost identical to what he's being said here in uh, chapter 46. But he says it in a slightly different way. And if you remember from Isaiah 41, 9 through 11. He says, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest place. This is Isaiah 41, 9 through 11. I have chosen you. And said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not uh, anxiously look about you, for I am your God. There's those I am's. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are uh, angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. That sounds a lot like what he said in the end of uh, Isaiah 45, verse 24. Same kind of language. 
our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted right now, those who are the persecutors, they're going to be put to shame one day. Some of these people will be judges over those people. Seems to be what Paul says. And God help them. Because they're going to have to deal with that. So last week I also talked about the fact that, that remember that in, in the wilderness, while they were there, that there was this bronze serpent. And Jesus makes a, a, an allusion to it. And he reminds them uh, when he's talking about um, what is necessary for, for us to be saved. He says in John chapter 3, 14 through 21, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and if you remember where I, I uh, left it in your bulletins and, and spoke a little bit about and read, actually, where it says, I think it was in the, either Second Kings or Chronicles, that they had this bronze serpent, and they were actually burning sacrifices to it, burning incense. They had made an idol of it. And uh, I think it was, I can't remember the name now, that, that they actually named it. And they were actually treating it like God. They, they had done this. And so Jesus makes an allusion to it. He says, that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Just like Isaiah says in Isaiah 41 and uh, Isaiah 46 where we're at, I will, I'll do this. Jesus is saying the same thing. He has to be lifted up. And like the serpent in the wilderness, when the people were bitten, they had to look up. They had to look up on the hill and see where Moses had planted this staff with this bronze serpent. And they would look to it. And even though they were bitten, they wouldn't die, right? That was the whole purpose of it. And as I've said, like a few years ago, it was an act of faith. Because it doesn't make sense. You know, imagine you go to a doctor, you're sick, and he says you have cancer, and he says... Um, I need you to go to this mountain over here. There's a thing over there and there's a serpent. Just go over there and look at that and you'll be cured. Or at least it won't kill you. How many of us would go? <laughs> Honestly. And the guy was serious. Or the gal was serious. It's nuts. It doesn't make sense. It's an act of faith. But because God has said it, the one who said it, that's what matters. He's the one who has the authority, the weight. And so Jesus is saying the same thing. You have to look to me. I'm going to bear that sin. The serpent, the bronze, bronze is, a, is a, uh, always, or not always, but a lot of the times it's, a, it's an idea that judgment is there. The judgment has been passed. And so it's the idea that if you look to me, judgment has been passed. I have taken the judgment. And you look to me, and you will have eternal life. And then, of course, the famous passage that just about everybody in the world knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Just like he says in Isaiah 41. 
Um, those who contended with you will be as nothing and will perish. They will perish, but those of us who believe will not perish. Just the opposite. Just like the fact that God was making fun of the fact that they had to carry the burden, and at the same time, He was saying, I'm going to carry your burden. I'm your burden lifter. As Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, because I'm going to carry you. And then he says in verse 17 of uh, John chapter 3, For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. This is our memory verse. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he will practice, he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. The point being, of course, is that God is the one who will carry us. He will carry us into salvation. He has granted us salvation. He is in the process of saving us. And He will ultimately save us for all eternity. He is the one who will carry us if we believe Him. Take Him at His word, if you will. Be like Abraham and just believe Him. Okay, God, you said this, I'm going to believe you. And that's not a foolish prayer. That's one of the most potent prayers that we've got. The idols are impotent, but God is omnipotent. Idols are powerless to save. God is powerful to save. Idols have no life within themselves. They're dead. God gives life and He gives it eternally. He's the one who does all these things. He will be the one who carries us for all eternity. And that our salvation that He has so graciously provided, He is the source of that salvation. He is the embodiment of our salvation. He is the holder and the giver of our salvation. He's the one who is in control of all of those things. And as He says, He will do it. And He has done it to the praise of His glory. Hallelujah. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we esteem and who we look to. And that's why we should continue to just tell people, look, there's hope. There's hope. Never give up hope. In the, uh, in the words of, of uh, Churchill, when he gave that rousing speech uh, during the uh, World War, And he just simply said, never, 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 never give up. Because we have a God who is able to save. And like I said earlier, like during the prayer, hey, I'm looking at a room full of sinners and I'm including myself who have been saved. And God has renamed us. We're no longer just sinners. He calls us hagios, 
hagioi, saints, saints of the Most High. Not saints like some of you came out of, but actual, because that's what he calls us. We're saints of his. We're his people, and he will do it. He has done it, and he will continue to do it, and he will never cease doing it. The cross of Christ is just as powerful today as it was nearly 2,000 years ago. It still has the same power to save. Jesus is coming back one day. And he will gather us together to himself that where he is, there we may be also. To those who are wavering and have not made that decision to entrust themselves over to Jesus and the works that he has performed on the cross on our behalf to take our sin upon himself, to be able to pay the penalty that we owe, he's coming back. And like I said last week in the message where God himself says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. For those of you in the interweb who may be listening, if you've never received Christ, do so. Receive Him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. You're going to bow your knee one way or the other. That's the truth. And when He judges and He comes, it's not going to be pretty. For us, it's going to be amazing, awesome. We're looking forward to that day. We'll be gathered to our groom. For those who refuse him, he's judge, jury, and executioner. That's who he is. We don't here teach that God doesn't send anybody to hell. We don't have that namby-pamby message. God is the one who sends his people to hell. And he's the one who sends them there. Because he's the God who is just. And he's the God who is righteous. And he's the God who is holy. But he's also the God who is merciful and loving and kind and forgiving. The question is, is which God will you encounter? The God of judgment or the God of grace? Jesus has said, all you have to do is look to him, believe in him, trust in him, confess your sin to him, repent and come to him. Trust in Jesus. He's the one who can save you. He's the only one that can save. And that's what we're here as believers. We worship Him because He has saved us. He has given us life everlasting. And we're going to have that life forever. And it's going to be a... We, if, we, if we think that our life now is one heck of a ride, I can't imagine what it's going to be like on the other side. It, it's going to be amazing. To be able to every instant and for all eternity to look upon our God, to see Him as He is. I just, just, I have no words. It's, it's amazing to think about. Bow your knee on this side voluntarily. Give yourself to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for how you save us. Thank you that you uh, have declared that you will do it, that you have done it. Indeed, you are doing it, and we know it full well. There is nothing about us that you should love, but we know that you have chosen to love. And so we're so eternally grateful.
pray, Lord, that you would apply this to, to those who are listening online that have never trusted you, that they would. And that they would come to know the joy. That they would come to know the wonder of having that burden lifted up off of them. Because you have borne it for us on the cross. And that you have made yourself known. And that we need only to look to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Empower us. Enable us. Embolden us. Send us to preach the gospel in the power of your Holy Spirit. Because we need you. And we're asking. Lord, thank you. Thank you for everything. Do what you do, Lord. Save. Save the unsavable. Love the unlovable. Redeem the unredeemable. Do what you did with us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you that we can pray in such a way. And we know that you hear. And we know that you love to save. For it is your glory to save lost sinners like us. That we may be called saints of the Most High. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen.